name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just try the other one again. Hello, hello. There we go. Great. Good morning also from my side. Uh, I see you. I had a various greetings this morning, people welcoming me back. Um, you miss one Sunday and it feels like you've lost the flock. I do apologize for that. Um, but I have a good reason. It was my daughter's matric farewell, and so I had to go away and recover. Uh, so I went up to a mountain just to go and recover. No, um, it was actually, I went down to Cape Town to do a wedding of somebody that used to be in our church, Suzanne van Bouillon, Galinda, uh, walked with her in the Kune group. Uh, and so we knew her, Susan and I have known her since the age of 15. And so it was amazing just to be there on that special day. Somebody that we saw just growing up. Uh, when we started a, at that stage uh, a Bible study group at the High Performance Center where, where we used to be, she was one of the first girls in that, uh, and so amazing time just with her. So no, I've not left. Um, it was just a special time, and I did manage to survive this matric farewell. Luckily, my daughter went with an excellent young man. His parents is here. So for all of those of you fathers with young daughters, Make sure that they start looking inside the church, and then you raise them, uh, and then you can feel comfortable. <laughs> All right, so we're busy, as you've heard, with a sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom. And so just quickly, why upside down? Obviously, your world, you exist in a greater world. And so when Jesus arrives uh, on earth, we see these two different kingdoms colliding. And so what we perceive things to be, and what we think things should be, uh, we find whilst we are busy studying the book of Mark that uh, it looks different from maybe what your perception is or what your desire is. And so hence the word upside down kingdom. And so week one, Rido preached about the unexpected king. And last week, uh, Etienne did an excellent job on just king over the conflict. And so if you've missed any of our sermons, remember on the website, uh, you can go and listen, Spotify, uh, and all the other platforms we have there. Uh, if you've missed it, please go and, and just listen. Open the book of Mark, and as we are preaching, follow with us. So I know not all of us sitting here this morning are, are keen followers of sport, and that's okay. Um, but there's a term used in sport, well, in various things, not just in sport, um, GOAT, the greatest of all times. But although, or maybe you are not interested or a keen follower of sport, when I mention the name Tiger Woods, you know, everybody would know who that is, right? He was definitely not the greatest player of all times. Uh, that, I think, is a subjective opinion. I would put myself in that category when it comes to golf. No, I'm joking. That was very subjective. Um, so he is perceived to be the greatest player of all time, and, and that is true. Just go and look at his record. But there was a time a few years ago when he struggled with a back injury. I had to go for an operation, a knee injury. And so working together with his coach, they had to change his golf swing. Now just imagine this. This coach coming into an environment where he works with the greatest player of all times, and having to tell him that your swing needs to be fixed. And so obviously not because of it being wrong, um, but for him to keep on playing with a back injury, they had to do some adjustments. And so this metaphor is 
It's almost similar to what we see and what I'm going to preach about this morning. And so the topic for this morning is when the king steps into our world and he looks us in the eye with the following words, let go of religion. Let go of religion. And so you can open your Bibles with me as we read together from Mark. We're going to go to chapter 3. Mark 2, verses 23. On the Sabbath, this is Jesus, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus. You can underline that. To see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. You can underline that. So they watched him so that they can accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life? Or to kill. But they were silent. You can underline that. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel. You can underline that. With, Her with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. So we see just in this two different stories, but focusing on the same thing, we see these two kingdoms colliding. And so let me just give you context before we continue. Um, so after Israel returned, people of God returned after the second exile to Babylon, coming back to Jerusalem, we see how God raised the minor prophets, the prophets that we read about, the latter books in the Old Testament. And He raised these prophets to encounter, to encourage his people, to warn his people not to fall back in their old ways of worshiping idols, but to repent and to return to him, to draw near to him. And then there's a period of 400 years of silence that follows. And then the New Testament, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. And so during this time, 400 years of silence, instead of listening to these minor prophets, what we see the spiritual leaders of that day and time do is that they put in place rules, regulations, different traditions to help to, to, to govern, to protect the people from not falling back into idol worship. And so a lot of focus being placed on follow these rules, follow these, these regulations, these traditions, so that you do not fall back into idol worship. But in doing so, we see a new form of idol worship that is birthed. 
the birth of man focusing on self to achieve harmony and unity with God. And so when Jesus steps into this environment, and this is where we pick up the story, we see these two kingdoms. And so the first thing we see happening is a kingdom confrontation that is taking place. There's a kingdom confrontation. Two kingdoms coming together. And you will always find confrontation. And so let me read quickly Mark 2. It says, verse 23, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Okay, so this is what they are busy doing. And so what we need to realize here, there is no way that the disciples would have plucked the grain without two things maybe happening. Seeing Jesus doing the same, or him allowing them, telling them that it's okay to do this. Because we need to remember that at that stage, the disciples were still part of the, the old kingdom, Judaism. They were raised in this rules and regulation, traditional way of doing things. And so for them to act outside of it, something had to happen. The second confrontation, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Listen again, confrontation. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so just focusing on these two verses we see two opposite kingdoms. We see the confrontation that's building. You can almost feel the tension in that synagogue where there's this man with a withered hand and the Pharisees are standing on one side and they're watching, not the man, they're watching Jesus. See, watching to see whether he would heal this man. And so it's almost like going into a board meeting, knowing what the board meeting is about, this board meeting, we're going to discuss letting people go, you know, cutting budgets, putting people on early retirement. And so just knowing that and going into that environment, there's this tension that you feel. And so similarly, we see this here. But what we need to understand is the following, is although the Pharisees were fixated in, in them breaking the Sabbath law, that is not the core issue at hand here. The core issue here is the confrontation, the conflict, this, or these two opposing kingdoms standing opposite one another. The one of Judaism, which was built on moralism, religion. And the other kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so religion in its purest, simplest form says the following, that I, man need to obey certain things. I must do certain things, certain rules, certain regulations, certain traditions. And in doing so, I become a better person. And the outflow of that is, I will be accepted or I will be acceptable. And so if 100%, what we need to understand is the norm to be accepted or acceptable, at what stage do you become, okay, all right, you can come in. Is it 90%? Is it 95 and so this is the whole thing that Jesus walked into. What the spiritual leaders put in place, follow these rules, follow these regulations, being a better person, to be able to draw near to God, to be able to be in unity with God. And so in, in, to try and explain this to you, practically what they did is they added 39 different Sabbath 
rituals to the Sabbath law that God gave in the Old Testament. God came to Moses and he said, six days you will work, but on the seventh day, rest. That was the law. And so they said, well, we need to put certain things in place to help people to keep this law. And so what we're going to do is we're going to add more laws to help people to keep the one law. And so here's some of this. One of the, the 39 you were not allowed on the Sabbath day to walk further than 800 meters. If there was a tear in your clothing, you were allowed to fix it, but with one stitch only. If somebody was in need of medical attention, think of this, there's a man with a withered hand. You were not allowed to help somebody except when it was a life-threatening situation. The person had an open wound, you could clean it, but you were not allowed to close it. Broken arm, not allowed to do anything until the next day. You were not allowed, listen to this, to move anything with your hand. You can move it with your elbow or you can blow. And so just imagining sitting around the Sunday lunch, asking somebody to pass the salt, how we would go about that. And so in this moment, when they were busy plucking the grain, the Pharisees accused them of breaking the law of the Sabbath because they were not allowed to harvest. Harvest is reaping. Then you thresh the wheat, and then you whittle it. You throw it in the air for the wind to blow, blow away everything and anything that is not the corn heads, and then making food. You were not allowed to do that. And so when the disciples walked and they plucked it and they wrapped it, so that was the harvesting, the threshing, the winnowing of the wind blowing away the chaff, and then eating it was preparing the food. That is how ridiculous these rules and regulations became. Aren't you glad that the church has since moved on? Amen. I mean... Telling people to wear hats to church is not as ridiculous. Or placing an age restriction on when you're allowed to use the communion is not as ridiculous. Imagine coming to church, no band, no worship through song and music. Imagine a church where the preaching on Sunday is not evaluated based on the person's ability to present, but it's based on the, the Word. Just imagine we come here every Sunday and we open the Word, we read it and we close it and we put it down and we pray. You see, although these rules and regulations sound ridiculous, there's a warning to us too. To make sure that when Jesus confronts these Pharisees, to open our hearts to hear what, what is he saying to you? You see, anything, religion says the following, anything that I do and try and do to achieve unity with God through self-effort is seen as religion. And so on the other side, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus came to put in place was the following, 
that He came and lived the life that none of us can live. He ticked all the boxes. He was the perfect man. And so because of what He did, we in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, can draw near to Him. And from that place, live a life of obedience. Not because of obedience, I can draw near to Him. But because of what He did, I can draw near. And through the power that He empowers us with, live a life of obedience. And this is the two kingdoms that we see in this scripture colliding. So what we need to realize about Jesus is He deliberately placed Himself in these positions of conflict. You know, many times when I read this, I think, yes, it was a tough time of ministry. Everywhere He went, these guys just popped up. I mean, I don't know if you think this way, but I was reading, and so they were plugging the corn, and suddenly the Pharisee says to him, what is your disciples doing? Were they lying in the wheat field? And then jumping up, ah! That's what I thought. But Jesus wasn't caught off guard. He placed himself time and time again in a position where he could confront religion where he could confront religion. And so as we go through this word, I pray that your hearts will be open as he's busy positioning himself to confront religion. To confront religion. Why? Because in that moment of confronting religion, we see the ability to cross-examine those that accuse him. And so there's almost this courtroom thing that is playing out here. Pharisees jumping up, accusing him. Jesus positioning himself in that synagogue. He could have kept quiet. He could have watched the man with a withered hand, winked at him, told him to see him after church or to come to him the next day. But no, he went right in the middle so that he could cross-examine his accusers. Let's read. Mark 2 verses 25 says the following. So they said, here the king of kings stands up and he's the following. And he said to them, have you never read what David did? You see the sarcasm in this statement? These are the learned of learned people. And he goes straight to the point. Have you never read? They are the walking encyclopedia of the Old Testament. And Jesus confronts that head on. Have you not read? When David was hungry, he took the sacred bread and he ate it. This anointed king that wasn't king yet, Saul was still in place, but had to flee for his life, wasn't recognized as king yet, ate the sacred bread, gave it to his men. And when Jesus is sharing this with them, it is the anointed king that is standing in their presence, not recognized as the anointed king yet, sharing with his men. Mark 3 verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? See, by positioning himself in a place where he could confront it, by asking these questions, he revealed the state of their hearts. He revealed the state of their hearts. Let's read that again. Verse 4, listen to verse 4 quickly. Well, before verse 4, let me read verse 5. Well, after verse 4, let me read verse 5. 
Verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Let me go to verse 2. And they watched Jesus. Listen to this. Remember, he's asking the question to reveal the state of their hearts. And, he's, um, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man. The question not at this stage, the question wasn't if he has the ability to heal. They were watching if he would heal. You see, religion clouded their hearts so much that they could not perceive the sovereign God standing in front of them with the ability to heal. Not happened before then, apart from God. And if you read further on in Mark, which we'll get to, we see him giving the ability to his apostles, the disciples, to heal. And so they missed this. You see, in, in the presence of religion, Miracles is absent. In the presence of religion, miracles is absent. Why? Religion says, I must. I must. It is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that people are healed. It is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that people receive a prophetic word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. That people receive faith. It is not through the working of man. And so by asking these questions to them, he revealed the state of the, their hearts. See, many a times on a Sunday, you might be sitting there, arms folded, making sure that everything and anything we do falls in place and is the way it should be. Or you can come to church with an open heart, with open arms, Asking the King of Kings to do a miracle in you or through you. See, that's the difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that their religion cloud their hearts, not seeing the King of Kings and the miracle that was about to happen. It also made them blind to the need of others. They were more worried about the law and following the law, and doing what is right, than they were about caring for a man with a withered hand. So let me give you context quickly. In the Jewish culture, they believed that if you were disabled, or something happened to you, go and read the book of Job. When his friends come to him after he's lost everything, what do they say to him? Surely you have sinned towards God. And you have wronged God, and you have made Him angry. Repent of your sin so that He can restore you. That was their way. And so a man with a withered hand, it was to be believed that either he or his mother and father sinned. And so this person would have been, would have been not allowed to work. He would have been ostracized, pushed out of society. And so yet... We see this man standing in the synagogue. Spiritual leaders, instead of reaching out and seeing the need, understanding the culture that they have built, they are more worried about doing what is right. 
A missionary friend of mine once told me the story. He went to a church meeting, prayer meeting, like we had encounter night, Tuesday night. And so they were praying, and a lady stood up and said she had a neat uh, mother of single mother with kids um, at a dance school. And so her dance school, all the clothing and everything she used was in the vehicle, the combi that she used. And so after she dropped the kids at school, she would drive from school to school to give dance classes. This was her form of income. And so in that moment, they prayed for the lady, and that was it. And in their midst stood a, a man that used to be a Muslim. And he went forward and in a godly way rebuked them for only praying and not doing. Praying for the lady, but are willing to send her out without meeting her needs. Making sure that we do what is right, let's pray. But too afraid to stretch out a hand to help somebody in need. And so in this confrontation, the king of kings makes the following declaration. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so what we need to understand with this verse is Jesus is not speaking against the law. He came to fulfill the law. What he is doing is he's taking on religion head on with this declaration that he's making. By saying that man was made for Sabbath, he is saying the following, it is a gift, or Sabbath was made for man. It is a gift to the man, to human being. When you are made for something, it means you are under it. You live in obligation towards it. And so with this statement, Jesus is saying, this was a gift from my Father above to set my people free. Six days they were to work. On the seventh day, rest in my presence. Draw near to me. Be in unity with me. If you go and study just the putting in place of Sabbath in Genesis, we see six days God created everything. And then on the seventh day, He rested. But go and read that verse again. It says, and he blessed the day. And he blessed the day and declared it as holy. Three things that we find in creation that God blessed. Animals blessed them because they had the ability to procreate. Humans, he blessed Adam and Eve because they had the ability to procreate. And he blessed the seventh day because in God's presence... He has the ability to restore, to heal, to replenish. That was the intention, not the 39 laws. And then we see the exile, and we see people going into Egypt. And as Moses let the people out of slavery, God puts the Sabbath back in place. For seven days you were slaves. You worked day and night. And so Moses, I'm restoring day of rest where you can draw near to me and you can be replenished. And so what God intended as a gift for us to be free, religion made it a burden again. Religion made it a burden. And here comes the declaration. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This King 
with a new kingdom. He created the day of rest. This is what he's saying to them. He's not saying to them, this is what you need to do to achieve rest. Follow these three things and you will obtain rest. No, what he's saying to them in this moment is, I am your rest. Draw near to me. Draw near to me. He made this amazing statement. I am the king, the son of God. The first verse that we read in Mark 1. This is the Lord, the Messiah. And so he continues not only to to make this declaration, but he also demonstrates the kingdom to them. Verses 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. There's this confrontation. And Jesus starts cross-examining to expose the heart. And the king of kings makes this declaration. But then he also shows them this kingdom. I don't know if you've ever seen a man or a woman with a withered hand. It is dried up. It is humanly impossible to stretch your hand out. It is humanly impossible to stretch your hand out. And yet... Jesus says to this man, stretch out your hand, and he does it, and it's healed. In this moment, Jesus is bringing across the point. It is humanly impossible to draw near to God based on your rules, regulations, and traditions. It is humanly impossible. But as king of kings, I am able. Stretch out your hand. And he was healed. So the band can come forward. And so typically in a sermon, or when you read the Bible, a good question to ask yourself is, which of these characters in the story that I read, or what we preached about, can I associate with? And so let me just be very frank and clear. There's only two that you can associate with. There's only one king, and that is Jesus. And so, this morning, you are either the man with a withered hand, finding yourself at the place where you know, I have tried, I have toiled, but I have failed. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, stretch out your hand. I have done it. And through me, you can be restored. Or you might be the Pharisees. You might be the Pharisee that's sitting there this morning. More worried about your traditions and your rules and your regulations. And the warning to you this morning is, it is clouding your heart. It is preventing you from seeing the King of Kings who wants to do a miracle in you and through you. He wants to restore you. So if we go back to Mark 2, verse 21, we see how Jesus, after being confronted again by his Pharisees or by the Pharisees about his disciples not fasting, he says the following. 
You cannot sew a new piece of clothing, an unshrunk piece of clothing, onto an old, shrunk, withered piece of clothing. Because when you wash it, that new piece will shrink and it will make a bigger tear. Similarly, you cannot pour new wine into an old wineskin because when it starts fermenting and it stretches, this wineskin will tear. And so when Jesus positioned himself opposite to religion and when the Holy Spirit is busy guiding us and guiding you into all truth, he is positioning himself in that place of confrontation and conflict now in your heart. The conflict of rules and regulations and tradition. And what we need to hear is a loving king, but he is still king saying to us, the kingdom of heaven cannot fit into our old ways of doing things. The Lord of Lords cannot be poured into your rules and your regulations. He, demand, he demands for us to die to self. And so when we go out this morning and we're going to witness the baptism, that is exactly what we see. A dying to self, the old person that goes under the water and a new that arises. You cannot fit Jesus into your rules and regulations and traditions. He demands a dying to self. Maybe you're sitting here this morning because of your traditions and your rules and regulations. You have looked upon the baptism from a distance. Keeping from yourself the blessing of being clothed with a new cloth, a new piece of linen, new clothes. 